0: Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Angie Nisbet, and it's my pleasure to bring you season two of Married to the Land, a podcast sharing stories of our everyday rural women, their journey from the beginning, and how their path has let them become married to the land. A small disclaimer before we start, these recordings are done with the help of the internet. And as some of you already know, the internet in rural areas can be a little bit touch and go. So there might be areas of this recording that have a very small lag time. My guest on the podcast today is Julie Brown. Julie calls Longreach in Queensland her home and I was lucky enough to meet Julie while I spent some time in Longreach. Julie, her husband and two children know what living rurally is all about. They've faced the good and the bad years during the terrible drought that still cripples the community, along with unreliant seasons and making business changes to adapt and diversify their lives. Amongst all the change and dilemmas, Julie still remains positive and hopeful. It's my pleasure to welcome friend and respected community member from Longreach, Julie Brown. Julie, thank you so much for joining me. How are you going?
1: Hi, Ange. My pleasure. Going really well. That's
0: good. Julie, let's get into it. So, Julie, can you give us a brief summary of your childhood and your family life growing up around near Rocky?
1: Uh, So, I grew up on a small cattle place at Kalapa, which is 40 kilometres west of Rocky with my parents and my younger brother, Clint. Um, my favourite things as a kid was riding horses and mustering cattle. For school, I travelled on a bus an hour each way into Rocky um, and went to the Range College for year 8 to 10 and then to the girls' grammar for 11 and 12 because I didn't want to go to school with stinky boys. Um, yeah, so it was just a pretty standard <laughs> childhood. Yeah, and did you enjoy
0: school? um high school, Julie? Was it something you um, you enjoyed and, and were, was good at?
1: I, I did enjoy school and um, I was an average student, but I loved it. And um, I was really lucky to go to school with beautiful girls. So school was easy.
0: Yeah. You studied a batch of commerce in Brisbane upon finishing grade 12. From there, where did that take you as far as your employment um, went?
1: Um, after graduating uni, like, I'd been in Brisbane for four years and I was really missing the bush. So I actually went goveying around Claremont for the first 12 months after I finished uni. Um, and then I moved back to Kempton and worked for the Marta Hospital and the Heart Foundation in public relations for several years. While I was doing that, I bought my first house in Rocky. Um, and then in the late 90s, I moved to Brisbane to um, take a job with a really big communications company in Brisbane. It was like a, a career move for me. Um, that was very challenging and a very busy job, but I learned a lot. Um, so I was in Brisbane for two years, but I was kind of really unsettled and I was working ridiculous hours, like I'd be walking from the city to my car at midnight, mum and dad would really worry about me. So, when I said to them, oh, Look, I think, I think I'm think i going to make a change, I'm going to make a career move and either go overseas and work overseas or um, look for a job in Toowoomba or Longwich. I have no idea why Longwich was on that list because I didn't know a soul there. I'd only ever driven through once while I worked with the Heart Foundation. That was a bit random.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you, yeah, so you ended up packing your bags and headed out to Longreach to work at the Longreach Pastoral College. You know, where, like, what was your first impression driving into the town? Were you a bit nervous about starting in a new community? Um, Did you know anyone from the area
1: going into Longreach? Well, within two weeks of making that big decision that I was going to move from Brisbane, I saw an ad in the Country Life for the Promotions Manager of the Pastoral College, and I was doing communications and PR in Brisbane, so it kind of um, seemed like a sign from the universe. And I applied for the job, and within a couple of weeks was often an interview, and they wanted me to fly out. Um, and because my job was so busy and I was working ridiculous hours By the time I got on the plane, I was just exhausted and I was flustered and I started to cry thinking, what am I doing? I don't know anyone out there. What if I hate it? So I made this little pact with myself that um, if it had an ATM in the main street, then um, if I was offered the job, I'd take it. That was kind of my yardstick for Um, adequate services (laughs) just an ATM machine mind you this was the late 90s how stupid am I of course it was going to be a bloody ATM machine so anyway when they offered me the job I was I was over the moon
0: yeah and what was your impression of Longreach um can you describe the people that were there and what attracted you you know to Longreach because um I know over the years there's been a huge um, change in, in employment and the people that they employ in Longreach. So what was the main employment of the town when you were there?
1: I was so lucky to move to Longreach at the beginning of 2000 because the town was absolutely thriving and it had such a vibrancy about it. There were heaps and heaps of people in their 20s and 30s working across various government agencies and, um, you know, as well as all of the doctors and uh, nurses and teachers that would come through town every couple of years. Uh, Plus, 2000 was a great year. So I just thought that it always rained in Longreach. Yeah, so I just, from the start, I loved it and the people were fantastic there were some people that I worked with at the Pastoral College and they're actually mutual friends, I won't mention their names though, um, who really took me under their wing. So um, I just felt at home and I remember in the first couple of weeks at the Pastoral College, just in a quiet moment, I walked down to the cattle yards and I just sat up on the rails of the cattle yards and I thought, I finally feel like I I belong. So yeah, it was just, really reassuring to make that big move and and it worked out Mm. um yeah and the social life was just beyond compare every weekend us girls were jumping in the car and and going on an adventure somewhere Um, yeah and and I made really lovely friendships which I still have today and I often drank way too much and did silly things but it was just all in good fun (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think everyone, everyone, you know, when you're in those early years, everyone has a bit of fun. Right. So, yeah, yeah, and that's what you do. Like that's the best way to make friends. You know, long as you said, Longreach is a central rural, um, central rural town, and it co- covers such a vast area. Um, so, tell me a little bit about some of the events that you attended um, in those in those early years um, of you being in Longreach. I
1: think because um, the region was just so vibrant and it was pretty good seasons um, and there was a lot happening in um, the Central West, there were always heaps of social opportunities happening um, and had a really great group of girlfriends and so we would just jump in the car and drive to the camel races at Blackhall or I have lovely memories of the most beautiful starlight dinner up in the Jump Up country at um, Winton. and, you know, going to all the, the shows, um, yeah, just the, the beautiful dinners and stuff that happened at Qantas, um, so many lovely memories. Um, and then also friends at the Pastoral College had a ski boat. So mm-hmm. even though I'm absolutely hopeless at skiing, I'd love to go down to the river. And in those first couple of years, I had family and friends coming out to visit me and check out my new home. So I loved doing all the touristy things with them. And one of the favourite things to do was to take them down to the old bridge on the Thompson River and have drinks with nibbles, or we'd do one of the boat cruises. So, um, so yeah, the Thompson River has a real special place in my, in my heart.
0: Yeah, it is such a central point for Longreach, um, even to this day. Uh, you know, they've got the ski. Ski club there now and, and there's always an abundance of life on the yeah, river with um, with the skiing and the fishing and all that kind of stuff. So it is such a beautiful area. Julie, I just wanted to go back um, and talk a little bit about the Pastoral College. So um, obviously the Longreach Pastoral College has closed now. Um, in your time there, do you know roughly how many students were there and um, the capacity of, of what it was
1: running? So we had a capacity of 140. And um, pretty much for every year that I was there, we were over that capacity. So we would take extra students and put them in the, or house them or accommodate them in old A and B block because we knew that there was going to be a natural attrition of, you know, 10 to 15 students who thought, oh, no, this is actually not for me, and then we'd move on. Yep. So we were pretty much full to capacity every year that I was there um, that's I just I really feel so sad personally about what's happened to the pastoral college mm. because one of my jobs as that promotion manager is um, I would organise the tours to come through the college for people from all over Australia mm. to visit and just have a look at our facilities and honestly they were blown away by the facilities at the pastoral college. The, the courses that we were offering students and, and I still firmly believe that there is a place for that in Australian agriculture, that we need a, a platform, especially for the kids who come from the city, they've got no experience, but they've got that desire in their heart to work on the land. Well you've got to foster that in a safe way. And I know pastoral company, companies have sort of taken up that batten to a certain extent, but I still think that there's space there for um, agricultural colleges to play a really important role in transitioning those kids into agriculture and and rural careers. So, yeah, it just makes me... I just think it's such a wasted resource and I hope that someone can um, um, reinvent um, and and repurpose the the existing facilities. Yeah,
0: I completely agree with you, Julie. It's a... um for anyone driving past or has, has um, spent some time in Longreach, it is a massive asset to the town and it's right on the edge of, of Longreach as you drive in from Ilfracombe. So, um, yeah, let's, I mean, you know, the future now is is always promising so let's hope something um, can get utilised there mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, we can keep fostering, as you said, you know, the younger generation from the city to get some experience and, and through the pastoral college that, you know, that might be an opportunity. So um, fingers crossed um, for that, that's for sure. Uh, Julie, you met your yeah, husband, Adrian, as well. Um, what was that acquaintance like and can you tell us about how he proposed?
1: <laughs> oh, he's such romantic. Um, well, in my social, social circle, there was an Irishman. He was sort of a backpacker, but he'd been working around, you um, properties around Longreach for a couple of years and he would say to me you have to meet Adrian Brown I think you two would just be perfect for each other but I had no clue who Adrian Brown was and um I kind of took it with a grain of salt and at the time there was another very nice young man that I was kind of keen on he wasn't keen on me but um no matter Um, yeah so um Irish had been trying to plant this seed and, anyway, one weekend we'd all been to the races and drunk way too much and ended up at the Lyceum pub in Longridge. Uh, and that night Irish bounded over to me so excited and said, oh, my God, he's here. And um, I was having a great time, so I didn't take too much notice. Anyway, a little while later Irish was there beside me and he dragged Adrian over and he introduced us and, um, And we just kind of started having a bit of a conversation Um, and as I always do when I'm on the grog, I decided that I wanted to dance. So um, I think I dragged Adrian up to the tavern and at that time of night we were the only ones on the dance floor but um, Adrian, yep, was, was very willing to dance with me. And it wasn't until later that I found out that he actually hates dancing. So I think he just loved me from the start. <laughs> um, yeah, so then that was February 2013. Um, and Angie, for many things in my life, I just, I've got no clue about what I should do. But every now and again, I get a really strong feeling of I should do a certain thing or choose a certain path. And I just got a really strong feeling that Adrian and I were meant for each other. Mm. Um, so in, at, at New Year's 2013, so it was the end of that year that we met, when he got me in a headlock at the car park of the Capricorn International Resort down at Yapoon and said, "Oh, do you reckon we should get married? <laughs> I knew that I should say yes. So mind you, we had just had a lovely lunch beside, have you ever been to Capricorn um, Resort? No, I haven't, I haven't. Uh, It is is so beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's um, closed down at the moment, but they've got this beautiful lagoon pool and they had a restaurant that was open air sort of um, right beside the pool. And so we just had this lovely lunch um, yeah, but he was too nervous to propose to be there, so I waited till we got out to the car park. <laughs> and and put you in a headlock, yeah. so you definitely um, couldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh my God, yeah. So that's kind of um, uh, an indication of, of uh, Adrian's capacity for a
0: Yeah, oh, Julia, that's beautiful. And you guys did get married in Longreach as well um, at the Hall of Fame. Um, then did you move straight out to Marchmont or had you been there a little bit before you got married? Tell me a little bit about that transition of, of, of moving out there.
1: Yeah, well, I I was fairly busy in my role at the Pastoral College and I did love it. So um, I worked right up until the day before we got married, basically, um, but I'd handed in my rec- resignation. So I finished work at the Pastoral College just before we got married married and our honeymoon I moved out to Marchmont and um, Adrian had lived at Marchmont on his own as a bachelor for 14 years so um, the house and the garden kind of needed a bit of love. When you went there were you
0: excited about starting your home and, and getting everything to how you wanted it was that an exciting part for you and Adrian I mean he would have been ecstatic to have you out there for sure.
1: I loved it. It was, um, I love working in the garden, so that was um, a labour of love and then, uh, yeah, gradually transforming the house into a home. Um, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Not long after we were married, we were at a party and one of Adrian's family friends said to me, oh, so how are you going at much more?" And I said to him, my life is perfect. And I really meant it because I was being on the land with my husband. Um, But mind you, as you know, in marriage, there's a whole lot of adjustments and compromises. Um, And because Adrian had been a bachelor at Marchmont for 14 years, he'd developed some little idiosyncrasies. One of them was he had a, um, a one light policy. So at the night time, he would only have one light on in the house. So we had to gradually work our way through that. <laughs> and then he didn't talk much, which was okay, because I'm, I'm I, you know, pretty happy with my own company. Mm. But when we were mustering and I was getting my head around the lay of paddocks and that sort of thing, I'd call him on the two-way and ask for direction and he wouldn't answer me. So, oh, my God, I get so wild and the cattle near me would get a huge fright as, you know, uh, a ball of expletives would fly out of my mouth because I was just so frustrated. So, yeah, there were all those um, sorts of, um, you know, little adjustments to make, but it's all part of marriage, isn't it? Learning and compromising. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Marchmonts itself. So um, what's your enterprise? What are you guys farming and uh, what were you farming? And, um, uh, yeah, do, have you had much change over the years with, with um, how you run things?
1: Uh, so Marchmont is 50,000 acres between Ilfracombe and Aramac and um, it's probably a third like Gidgee scrub and then two-thirds open downs, Mitchellgrass Downs country, um, Adrian usually runs cattle and sheep. Um, and it was dry the year we got married in 2000, mm. April 2004, we got married, but then it rained in November of that year. And it, it seemed to kind of keep raining, even just a little bit when we needed it, right through to 2012. So we had a run of, of good seasons. Mm. Um, yeah, so Adrian was able to pretty well um, be fully stocked for that whole time. And um, did you find and
0: anything Sorry, Julie. Um I was about to say did you find anything particularly hard during those first couple of years at Marchmont um you know was there anything you really had to adjust to? Stick with us, we'll be back after the break. ICPA is an educational voice for rural and remote families and their students. They are committed to ensuring equitable access to education Opportunities and support for every step of a student's learning journey from early childhood through to tertiary, trade, or training. Membership is for all families and interested parties, whether they live in a rural or remote town, on a property, are itinerant workers, or simply have a connection to rural and remote education issues, which the ICPA advocate for. If you want your voice for your children, join a branch near you. With 45 branches, you're sure to be able to reach out and connect. Membership is easy to get. Head to www.icpa.com.au to join today.
1: Yeah, for sure. So... um even though I was living a dream I had been financially independent mm. and self-reliant since I was 17 so when we were married and then I suddenly had no personal income um, I, I found that really worrying mm. and um, so I was looking for solutions to overcome that kind of worry mm. and also when you're single for so long, because I didn't get married till I was 34, your work and your career really becomes part of your identity and and who you are. So um, when I suddenly lost that and I was just this new girl on Marchmont, I I did feel a bit lost for a little while. Um, And then also it's, um, it's, a learning process and a transition when you join a new family which is quite a big family yeah. um yeah so yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's definitely the,
0: something the same, all marriages I guess yeah and I, I can agree with you on that Julie I think that is a an area that lots of young women go through is that trying to reinvent themselves or where they might slot in and as you said when you're when you're independent you've got your own income and you've got your own car and you've got all these things that you have created yourself, it can be a little bit daunting to just, um, you know, I suppose essentially cut all that off and then sort into another lane um, initially. Um, but I suppose come with that comes starting a family and that's what you guys did. Um, so is that something you both wanted, to have children? Is And um, tell me a little bit about
1: your your two beautiful children, Xavier and Bonte. Oh, and well... Adrian was indifferent about having children. He didn't care either way, and I'm a bit embarrassed to admit now that I actually didn't want to have children. Um, My childhood wasn't always fun, and I really didn't want to bring kids into a world where life can be really hard, Mm. and these little people, they have no say in it. We just bring them into the world. So... um, we were married for three years and people kept asking us, when are you going to have kids? And so it kind of just got to a point where we said to each other, what should we do? Mm. Should we just give it a go and see what happens? And and basically that's kind of the conversation that we had. Mm. And I vividly remember that night in the shower having like this mini panic attack thinking, oh, my God, you know, um, what if, what if I'm a crap mother? What if I can't do it? What if the kids aren't healthy? So I I was really quite frightened about it. Mm. But um, luckily God took no notice of me and uh, we fell pregnant basically within three months with Xavier. Mm. And, um, And it's just I think because initially I didn't want to have children, And also I've got some dear friends who haven't been able to have children. I just have such a massive sense of or a strong feeling of gratitude and responsibility to these kids Mm -hmm. that I just want to do my absolute best for them. Um, It's it's just been this whole revelation really and um, it probably sounds sappy but I'm a person of faith so it kind of gave me an inkling of how much God loves us because just there's no words to describe how much I adore my kids. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and they are beautiful children, um, Julie. I, you know, obviously I know you personally, and um, they are. They're so polite yeah. and they're gorgeous. And you've got a pigeon pair, so <laughs> that, that yeah. was pretty well sorted straight away.
1: <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about Bronte and Xavier? Are they um, are they outdoors kids? Because they're both at, at boarding school now, but are they um, massively involved in the property and do they love it?
1: Um, since a little bloke, Xavier has always wanted to do what Adrian does. He's always wanted to be a farmer yeah. and um Yeah, when when we first went to um, Yipoon last year and Xavier started at the Cathedral College in Rocky um, and we were still sort of in amongst the the drought, then he said, Mum, you know what? I actually don't know if I want to be a farmer. I don't know if I want to be on Marchmont. And I said, mate, that's all right. We just want you to be happy. We just want you to follow your dreams and what you want to do. Um, but it's, it, it's in his blood. He just loves it. Uh, he is completely an outdoors kid, so he's always out on the bike or in the highlights, um, you know, controlling the macropods or the feral pigs, and um, he loves mustering. He, he also loves uh, fabricating things. So in the, this morning he's been up in the shed and he's made this butterfly out of shoes, mm. And I was thinking, and I had said to him, yeah, mate, we'll paint it and we'll hang it up in a tree in the garden so it looks like it's flying. Anyway, I thought, oh, God, like it'll, it'll possibly look a bit like shit. But anyway, you know, as a mum, you just encourage them. He's brought it down this morning. And, Ange, it's bloody beautiful. He's really clever. And they're both quite creative. So Bronte's very arty and creative as well. Yesterday she um, was sewing a face mask with stars on it. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, they just do these random things, which are so cute. Yeah. yeah oh. It's lovely. They're at a really fun age. Yeah.
0: And um, I just wanted to take, take a moment, Julie, because I think it's really great that um, – you know, you and Adrian, you have obviously got that mindset that if the kids do want to come back, then you're happy for that to happen. But, you know, as you just said before, when when Xavier said he was unsure that you're okay with that, and I think that's really a very um, mature and, and great thing to have, especially being on a property because, as you know, there's so many ebbs and flows of drought and good years and bad years. So I want to take my hat off to you guys and, and, you know, that's so great that you... open to whatever he wants to do so um yeah that's exciting we'll follow follow his journey and um see see where they are in um in the years to come
1: and actually and i just want to jump in there that your dad shared some words of wisdom with us at a klr school back in 2014 So Xavier was only seven, but he'd already been expressing that he wanted to be on the land. He wanted to, you know, um, cattle and sheep. Um, And your dad said that throughout the generations, when times got tough, we actually encouraged our kids to go away and do other things, and we didn't really provide a pathway for them to come home. And Adrian and I, we, we just really took that on board and we made the decision right then that we were going to make sure that we did everything that we could to equip Xavier with the skills that he needed to be on the place. And so we've already been talking to him about um, he's got to get a, tra- a trade, so he's got to have some other skill that he can um, generate off-farm income in those really tough years of, of dry or whatever. Yeah. Um, and to do welding courses and to do courses like KLR and, um, you know, there's so much that you can do with Marcus Alderman and lots of things like that just so that you're you're giving your kids those skills to be able to make a success of life on the land. Mm, yeah, I think that's another
0: thing too, Julie. Like, I, you know, I count my blessings every day you know that I have the parents that I have because they have been very very open um, to opportunity on on the land but it's always something that resonates with me is I my mum and and dad both said um, especially during the drought you know that can be the biggest learning curve and you can grow so much on you know to learn how to manage and to um, do your books and stuff like that in a drought and I can just um yeah, so I think that's always been something that resonates with me is that if you can give the kids the opportunity and they're wanting to come back, um, you know that's that's wonderful because essentially the farmers are the future and we, we feed the nation. So I think um, if if you can give someone a positive experience and encourage encourage people to come home, um, um, I'm all for it. So yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said something useful. <laughs> Um, Julie, as we all know, most people will be aware that there was um, a pretty hefty drought that took a colossal toll on the Longreach region along with a lot of Australia. Can you share your experiences of the drought and how it affected
1: your family? Marchmont, as I said, was dry when Adrian and I were married in April 2004 But then it rained in November of that year and and then we just seemed to get rain whenever we needed it right up to 2012. So I had no experience of a severe drought. I'd seen dry times on our little cattle property at Kalapa, but nothing like years without rain. Um, And I'm a naive optimist and I also have a strong faith. So I just kept saying to Adrian in 2013, if you know it's fine. It's going to rain. Don't worry about it. But then when it didn't, I really took it personally. Mm. Um so Adrian and I were struggling and there's all that self-doubt of oh, you know, should we sell bees or what if we sell them and then we get rain and and it's expensive to buy back in and um if we totally destock, what impact does that have on the family business because Adrian is in business with with his family, there's just so many questions that you don't have the answers for and um, you become really overwhelmed with that self-doubt. So we were struggling with all of that. And then I think one of the hardest things that I found was watching my neighbours and friends struggle. And I just, I could not reconcile why a loving God would do that to Hardworking, humble, good people. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I just really took it personally, and it um, it's been a big learning curve for me. Um, and I've always, right since I, I found a book when I was seventeen about the power of positive thinking for young people. Mm. It it sparked a real um, fascination in me about how our mind works and how powerful our thoughts are. So I've always kind of gravitated to um, books, and people would call them self-help books, but books about how our mind works and keeping positive and using your thoughts to kind of create a good life for yourself and your family. But the drought really threw me off course. And I kind of forgot everything I'd ever read or heard and i got to the point where i thought i've had this dream in my heart since i was a little girl to live a life on the land but i just don't think it's worth it anymore mm. and then you're lost you think well why am i here mm. what am i doing yeah so mm. it's um ah, it's just shit yeah. <laughs> such a
0: such a um defeating thought isn't it Julie like when you as you said when you are such an optimist and you're always a cup half full kind of person and and when it goes for year after year after year and you just go like where's our break where's our break and you know that takes a toll as you said on your neighbours and your friends and family but also it would have taken a huge toll on the long reach community itself and essentially that community was dissolving um, due to the drought. Um, can you tell us what impact do you think that had on the property owners and then also um, the community and the town? Um, I'm sure there would have been some massive negatives there as well.
1: Yeah, and um, the length and the severity of the drought eroded so much confidence. and um, and just the the length of it, you know, eight and nine years. People, well, I know we did. We just felt so punch drunk. You know, you're just so battle weary. You just kind of make one tough decision, and then you've got to make another one, and um, <clears throat> you just get exhausted. Um, the word is banded around a lot, but I think it sums it up pretty well. Just the resilience mm. and the heart of Bush people and people in the Central West, it astonishes me. We were at a barbecue with our neighbours, and um one of our neighbours said, Look, if you're not depressed in this fucking drought, there's something wrong with you. And it just made me laugh and it made me feel so much better. I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, this has just gone on for so long. Of course it's okay to feel shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but at the same time and We've seen people move, sell up and move away and other people move in with new energy. So there's negatives and positives in that. I've seen people start up small home-based businesses, get jobs off the farm, try to do things differently. So, look, I I think that, as you said before, Ange, there's opportunities in drought, sometimes as hard as that is to kind of recognise and and grasp a hold of. Um, challenging times in life provide the chance to learn and 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 grow and change. Mm,
0: yeah, <laughs> Julie, you touched a little bit there on small businesses, and I, I, an idea came to you during those trying times in the drought. Um, you created a business called Cooler Cozies. Um, share with me the reason behind firstly starting that business in the middle of a drought, um, and secondly, what Cooler Cozies is all about.
1: Well, and the Kula journey actually started quite a bit before the drought. So because um, Adrian was in business with his family and we were just trying to think of ways to generate some off-farm income, but I wanted to stay at home with Adrian. Uh, So we were throwing around ideas of what sort of home-based business could achieve that for us. Um, And at the same time, you know, you have all these parallels in life at the same time that Adria and I got married in 2004, my parents retired down to the beach. And for our first Christmas all together, I was looking for board shorts and rashes because I am not a bikini body and I have shit skin. So um, I went on this search and I couldn't really find anything online. And when I was down in Rocky and Yapoon um, over Christmas, I just walked the shops trying to find nice, sun safe rashies and and matching board shorts couldn't find anything um, and so that search went on for a couple of years and then it was oh you know maybe just before Xavier was born so um, early 2007 I had been behind a mob of cattle on a bike and you know where you got lots of time to think and once again, I was sort of thinking about oh, what Christmas presents I had to buy. I'm a super organised person, so you know I think months and months in advance of <laughs> jobs or whatever that I've got to do down the track. And um, I was thinking of the rashes and stuffing. Oh God, I really want to get them for Christmas presents for my mum and my dad and my brother because we've all had BCCs removed, we've all got fair skin. And I thought, you know what? If I can't find them. Maybe other people are having trouble finding them as well because we're all sun-loving people in Australia. Lots of us have fair skin. It must be an issue for others. And um, I rode over to Adrian and I said, I've got it. I've got our off-farm business idea. Um, but as you can imagine, he wasn't all that excited. So um, I just parked it because, it, you know, it's stupid, isn't it, thinking about that you could start a swimwear business from out back Queensland. Um, so, yeah, I just didn't do anything about it. But then it was in 2013 when it had stopped raining um, and by the end of that year we were fully stocked. In fact, we were overstocked um, and the protein just seemed to leach out of the grass really quickly and so we were scrambling, just trying to, um, you know, feed stock, thinking about trying to sell stock. Um and we were in amongst um, family succession planning, which I was um, finding, you know, quite challenging. I thought I've just, for myself, I've got to do something. Mm-hmm. I want to try and generate some more farm income for my family. Um, and And the only idea that kept coming up for me was my swimwear idea. So that's when I started researching. I just went on to Google and spent hours of the night time searching fabric and manufacturers, and um started writing a business plan and rewrote that business plan about fifteen times just to kind of get me closer to yeah maybe um trying to take action with this crazy idea.
0: Mm, and I mean the fashion industry is a massive you know you're 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 a small fish in a big pond, so where did you start? How did you get your start? Did you seek someone out? Talk us through that process.
1: Yeah, and I honestly didn't know where to start. Um, I rang some government departments, you know, trying to get some advice on how to start up a small business, how to be involved in trade, and I really didn't get anywhere. And um, it's that old adage, um, you don't know what you don't know, and I didn't necessarily know the questions that I needed to ask. Um, and, yeah, I just kept making phone calls. But I guess Google was the main way that I made any progress. Mm. I did hire a, um, a sourcing agent in Asia to try and find me a manufacturer, but that didn't. they weren't able to come up with anything for me. So I kind of wasted $1,500 on that. But it was through Google that I found Alibaba Market where you can buy anything from little Christmas decoration to a a tractor. And um, it was through Alibaba that I found my manufacturer. And, um, yeah, it just was little baby steps and then finally launched the business in December of 2015. Yeah,
0: wow. And it's a great brand, Julie, and a terrific idea behind it, because, you know, I think every woman gets to a stage where they don't feel comfortable in a bikini. I know that feeling all too well after having children, etc. But um, they're great, vibrant, happy designs. Um, so talk to me about Cooler Cozies now. Where
1: is it? And how has the journey been? The Kula Cozies journey just seems like this weird dream where I look back now and I think, holy crap, how has that happened? Especially, um Um, being on um, the morning show and um, Landline and getting some pretty amazing coverage in um, some national magazines. Yeah, I just feel so blessed because so many small businesses, um, you know, just have to do the hard yards to achieve, um, um, I I guess, kind of coverage and, and to reach people. So yeah, I've learned a lot, and um, it, but it's also been a hard journey. I just put so much extra pressure on myself. I think during the drought and in the middle of educating kids. Um, so I don't know whether I'd do it again if I had my time over. Mm. But um, it's easy to say that in hindsight. But you know what, I, I would have because I I wanted to do something. I've learned so much. It gave me a sense of kind of independence and. And control over my own future and and our family and um uh, yeah just it seems to have taken me to the next step that I needed to be in the next step that I needed to be um and it has um provided some extra financial boost for the family um yeah it, it is ironic and that I wanted it to be a business that I could stay at home but because it grew so quickly I had to move into Longridge and we rented a house in town the kids went to school in Longridge and um, I could spend time growing the business and and um, keeping up when it was really busy um, yeah I was really lucky to be able to employ some lovely ladies in town to help me when it was busy with orders or new stock arriving um, and It enabled me to be part of the team that established Western Emporium in the main street of Floridge, which I'm really proud to be part of that. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's been incredible. Ange?
0: Yeah. Oh, congratulations, Julian. Um, Yeah, as I said, for anyone who does like to check out um, the Cooler cozies? they can do that. You've got a website as well as um, on Instagram. So, yeah, I highly recommend anyone, especially, you know, coming into summer shortly, um, to go and check it out because it's a wonderful brand. Um, and, yeah, I, I know personally, you know, looking after your skin is first and foremost. So, um, yeah, super exciting for you. Um, being a rural woman and starting a business remotely, what lessons have you learnt and what advice could you share anyone living remotely that wanted to start or, you know, has an idea that wants to start a
1: business? The most important lesson that I've learned and the most important piece of advice I feel I can share is do what you love, Ange. So I started Kula Cozies, um wanting to generate some off-farm income from the family. And even though I've absolutely loved being able to do that and to help people um, be more sunsafe and to feel more confident going to the beach or the pool, the journey has taught me that um, I- I'm now at that point where I just want to get back to what's in my heart. And in my heart's always been to be on the land and to grow cattle. Um, yeah, so I'm now at the stage where I'd love to hand cooler cozies on to someone who has a dream of designing and selling swimwear or sunsafe clothing. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think it's so important to kind of stay true to yourself, figure out what you really love and do that, mm-hmm. no, no matter how hard it might be. You've just got to find a way to, to do that because no matter how hard it gets, you'll have the energy to keep going when it's, when it's tough.
0: Yeah. Um, and we've all had mentors and influencers in our lives. Who has
1: been yours and why? Um, The extraordinary gift in my life is having a grandma, a mum and an auntie who were just amazing role models and who loved and supported me unconditionally and have been my biggest fans throughout my life. So they have very much been um, the most important influences in my life and my my family as a whole, but especially my mum. My mum is so kind and thoughtful i aspire to be like her
0: Mm. oh that's um yeah i think having a mother you know a good mother-daughter relationship and you know when you can look up to your mum like that it's pretty cool isn't it and i'm sure you know bronte will probably be the same to you no doubt um within your rural community what do you think makes rural women um stand you know stand out and excited for their future um
1: I am just amazed at the breadth of of skills and talents of rural women. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's a really exciting time because rural women are just achieving so much and there's a lot more discussion now about the hard subjects. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is making it easier for our daughters to Live the life that they want to live and be them best their best selves within their own rules, um, rather than being constrained by the rules that other people set. Sometimes, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I just find that so exciting. Just at beef um, in April, in early May. To see what women are achieving with technology and, and so many different things, we're, we're just right up there, equal to the men, as we always have been, but to have the acknowledgement and the respect of, of what women are achieving in the rural industry, um, it's been a long time coming.
0: I think that equal opportunity has always been there, um, but as you said, probably has just completely um, excelled more over the last few years, that's for sure. Um, having a daughter yourself and living rurally, what's something you hope she sees when she looks at yourself and and a rural woman?
1: I want Bronte to see rural women as respected and appreciated for their ability and um, that rural women are able to contribute to their family and their community and, and business how is best? Um, how best they can, not how someone else is telling them that they they should or they can. Mm. Um, I would like Bonnie to see rural women who don't judge each other, that they actually support each other and lift each other up, um, and and just that rural women who can live the life that they want to live. That um, yeah, you can um, yeah live a, a happy successful life where you're contributing to the business um on the land
0: and family is such a big centerpiece for yourself what is it that makes your rural life a happy one and as far as you know what you appreciate where you live um in a rural area
1: to me the most important thing and just really at the moment because we're living between two houses so when we are together it's um, really listening to each other and laughing being able to work together and have fun that's just all the glue that um, keeps us all healthy and happy and um, yeah, loving each other <laughs>
0: yeah. and what's the Brown family future goals and what's your future looking like on Marchmont
1: well and I say this with an acknowledgement that lots of people haven't had a decent start to the season but for us this year has been the best start that we've had in eight years so um we actually have some grass um on 65 percent of the place we've got grass and, and the rest is kind of weed and and herbage um yeah so it's exciting and um Yeah, a healthy, happy family on the land from where our children can go out into the world and um, um, to be the best version of ourselves and to contribute to make the world a better place. That's my goal for me and my family.
0: And how do you and the family unwind, Julie? So if you've had a, you know, a big day or a big week, what do you guys do to go and... um just take five minutes to chill out. What's your go-to activity?
1: Well, as a family, Friday night is pizza and movie night. And so we just love to hang together and and choose a funny movie and um, make pizzas. So that's, yeah, that's really nice. Um, Then personally, I love to go for a walk. I try to do it each day if I can. And that's just um, the time where I can kind of reset my brain and and um, maybe have a, a chat to God um, I'll listen I really like listening to inspirational podcasts as well mm-hmm. um, and I love to read but I haven't done that for many years and I've just started to do it in the last six months and um, so it's nice to get back into that
0: mm. and what are five essential things you think every rural woman should carry in their handbag
1: Uh, look Ange I'm I'm a pretty boring practical person so, you know, it's just the stock standard tissues, sunsafe lipstick, <laughs> um, cash, pens. I always have a highlighter in my bag because I like to, um, if I read something interesting or I want to try and remember it, I'll highlight it. And, and then just a really personal thing for me is I carry this little tiny Bible Um, And whenever I change handbags, I always throw it in the handbag that I'm taking with me because there's so much that I can't do and just the little Bible reminds me that with God I can do anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're great. Yeah, great practical suggestions. Um, And, yeah, I know I've got definitely a few of those in mind. I don't think I can nail mine down to five because I think after having kids you've got about 100,000 things that are are
1: essential. Oh, Oh, know it's different when you. Advantage, I'm sort of on to the next stage yeah you're lucky I'm teenagers they just want my chewing gum.
0: yeah that's it <laughs> uh Julie you are a successful rural woman what are some words of wisdom you think you would have liked to have given your pre-married self
1: mm, um do what you love and and I've always known what that is so my my kind of challenge has been to just find ways to to live that life, um, but if you don't know what that is, give yourself time to listen to your heart because the answers are there. Mm-hmm. Um, be kind to yourself. Like I've always wanted to be kind to others, but my rule has been just work harder. You know, just work harder and then it'll all work out. Well, I've learned that lesson over the last six years that that is not always the answer. In fact, it can actually make things a whole lot harder for yourself. So that's been such a learning for me to kind of just take your foot off the gas and give yourself a break sometimes. And so um, the last uh, 12 months I've been really doing that and that's why I've come, got back into reading and, um, yeah, yeah, so I'm being a lot kinder to myself. Yeah. Um, and being kinder to others. I think that when your race is over, you've got that peace to know that you've made the world a better place. Um number 3 it's okay to ask questions. Um I've always been a bit scared to ask questions um but have the courage to do it. And if they don't want to give you an honest answer maybe they're hiding something. Um number 4 I've learned and this has been a hard lesson too that no matter how hard you try sometimes people just aren't going to like you or you're not going to like them and that's okay. Mm yeah and and I guess um spend as much time as possible positive people who love and support you because we all need that positive energy to thrive oh and then last one number five um never underestimate the power of your mind um just keep focusing on the life that you that you want to live no matter what's happening in reality at the time and Julie,
0: I just uh, before we start wrapping the interview up, social media is a great way to connect and share. Um, now, do you have any Instagram accounts or even any um, books or courses that you think um, people or like that yourself that you've really enjoyed following along?
1: Yeah, Angie. Uh, look, that has been my biggest challenge with cooler cozies is I've never really done much TV or social media. It's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. And so I found it so challenging and I'm such a dork. It will take me an hour to write four lines for a Facebook post because I just agonise over getting every word just right. Yeah. So um, I, I really am not into social media. Um and I recognise that in a small business, it's just so powerful. You've got to be. Yeah, um, yeah so more for me, the things that I guess um, keep me positive and, and keep me learning is I love listening to podcasts in that quiet time. If I'm packing orders or, you know, labelling stock, that mundane time, I'll have the headphones in and I'll be listening to an inspirational podcast. So I, I haven't really got any Instagram accounts that I follow, Ange, but I, I'm happy to give you a list of kind of the books or podcasts or whatever that have really had a big impact for me over the last 10 years or so.
0: Yeah, no, um, I'd so
1: love... I'm happy to share that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you send those through and I'll make sure, as always, um, to pop that in the show notes for people to um, to go and check out Um, Julie it's been so nice to see and talk to you today and so great to be able to hear your story of living out in Longreach and how you got there Um, I'm so glad Cooler Cozies is going well and um, whatever the future holds for it will be a bright one no doubt so from all the Married to the Land listeners and myself we wish um, you're the best moving forward and so looking forward to following along your family's journey and um, the Cooler Cozies business so um, thank you for joining joining me today and all the best.
1: Oh, Angie, and I love your Married to the Land um, podcast and, and idea. I think it's just so important for us girls to keep talking to each other and encouraging each other and to share the stories. Um, yeah, I, I think that it just makes um, maybe the, the tricky days a little bit easier <laughs> to get through.
0: And if you would like to follow along with Julie's journey, you can do so on Cooler Cozzy's Instagram page, which is at Cooler Cozzy's, or check them out by the internet. Just search www.coolercozzy's.com.au.